This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and today we're going to do part three of kind of a three-part podcast series that we've been doing on Equip about the end times. Podcast one, if you want to go back and listen to it, we talked about the return of Christ and what we are looking forward to. Is the return of Christ imminent? Are there signs that we're looking forward to on the horizon that we need to anticipate? And then podcast number two, we really talked a lot about the book of Revelation. How is it that Christians interpret John's revelation, and what are we supposed to understand about things like the millennium and the rapture and all of that? And throughout all of this, we've tried to approach these matters with a posture of humility, just remembering that the Pharisees who were looking forward to the first coming of Christ and diligently studying the Old Testament prophetic scriptures missed the Messiah when he was right in front of them. So just a posture of humility says, we may not be understanding everything perfectly too, so we should try to see how other Christians have interpreted these texts and then carefully come to conclusions, but hold those conclusions loosely. All of that building off of what is a firm and agreed upon foundation about the times at the end that all Christians everywhere have agreed on, that one day Jesus will physically, visibly return to earth, that we should long for his return, that though we do not, do not know exactly what time he will return, the end results of his coming are clear. He will judge those who disbelieve. He will reward believers in the new heavens and new earth, and he will remake everything so that the sin curse is broken and it is truly joy to the world. Those foundations are firm. So we want to be humble in the places where we're not as certain. But today, I want to end this kind of podcast series talking about what I think is the firmest of our foundations and the most important piece to the study of the end times, which is not the chronological sequence of the book of Revelation, but the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. I want to talk to you about heaven today. And as we go into this, I'm going to make a shameless book plug at the beginning. If you want to know more on this, you need to go and order Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. Order it right now. Ask for it for Christmas. Whatever you do, this is the single best resource that I can point you to, and I'm telling you, it will be worth the effort you put into reading it. There's a full kind of larger book-length form of the book called Heaven, and then there's like a smaller meditations, 30 days meditating on heaven. I have both of them. Both of them I love. I reread them regularly. They are awesome. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. You should pick that up because really what I'm going to try to do is give you 20 minutes of distillation of kind of what he gives you in fuller form there. And my hope is that actually this 20 minutes, just thinking on what heaven will be like, that this would be the best 20 minutes of your week because this is the best news in all the world. And so here's what we're going to cover. We're going to just do a quick summary of what the Bible teaches, talk about what heaven will be like, what our anticipation should be, what are we looking forward to. And we'll try to wrestle through some simple things like, um, you know, what can I anticipate my body being like? What, what, is, what is Jesus like in those places? And maybe some trickier questions like, what happens to the present world? Is it destroyed or renewed? But in all those, we want to land on a hope of heaven. 
So, quick summary here. What does the Bible teach about heaven? Here's, here's the key of what the Bible teaches. First off, that every human being will live forever somewhere in the eternal joy of the presence of God or eternal punishment of hell. The joyful dwelling place where God lives is called heaven in the Bible. Heaven is God's dwelling place. It's a place. It's a real place. And when those who know Christ die, they go to be with God in heaven. That's where they go right now. But they won't stay there forever because the ultimate goal is not that we would leave our physical bodies to go and be in kind of a temporarily embodied state in heaven, but the goal is that the present heaven will one day itself reunite with earth in a resurrection of the body in the new heavens and new earth, and that then with new perfect bodies, we will live forever in God's presence in a new perfect world without sin, perfectly renewed and remade. Wayne Grudem says when talking about heaven, Christians often talking about living with God in heaven forever, but in fact, the biblical teaching is richer than that. It tells us that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, an entirely renewed creation, and we will live with God forever there. Isaiah 65 verse 17 says, God, he says, behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered Isaiah 66 talks again about that new heavens and new earth which God will make. Peter tells us we are waiting for his promise for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And John ultimately in Revelation 21 says he saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth had passed away. That is what we are looking forward to. We aren't just simply looking forward to being absent from this earth to be present with God. We're looking for God to come back to this earth, to renew and remake everything, and to resurrect our bodies, just as he did raising Jesus from the dead. That's the quick summary. So, now we need to unpack that a little bit, because I talked a little about what heaven is like. And so, what is heaven like, and where do we go when we die? Well, I want to reiterate this. Heaven is God's dwelling place. It is where he is. It is perfectly holy and full of God's goodness, blessing, and beauty. While God is everywhere present, he is omnipresent, God is in a special way present in this dwelling place that is called heaven. That's why when we pray, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. He, heaven is God's place. But there is something interesting. I read just a bit in Revelation 21, a second ago, where John says in Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's an interesting phrase. The first heaven had passed away. What that means is it's cluing us into that the dwelling place of God, heaven, won't stay the same way forever. While God is unchanging, heaven itself is not unchanging. It's created. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven says, because God created heaven, it has a beginning. Thus, it is not timeless or changeless. Heaven had a past, a time prior to Christ's creation. Heaven has a present, the intermediate or present heaven where believers go when they die to be present with Christ. Heaven will also have a future, the eternal heaven or new earth. 
The past heaven, the present heaven, the future heaven are all called heaven because they are God's central dwelling place, yet they are not all synonymous or identical. And Alcorn gives this really helpful analogy. I think this helps to sink it in. He says, imagine, pardon my throat clearing here, imagine that you have grown up in Miami and you are currently moving to California. And so you have to fly from Miami to California. You have a connecting flight in Denver. If you were to board your plane in Miami and the ticket agent asked you, where are you headed? Would you say Denver? Well, no, you wouldn't say Denver because your ultimate final destination was California. So if the ticket agent asked you that, you would say, yeah, I'm actually flying to Los Angeles, California today. If you mentioned Denver at all, what you would say is something like this. You'd say, I'm planning to fly to Los Angeles by way of Denver. I'm connecting through Denver. So would you rightly say, I'm a resident of Denver? Well, no. You might say, I'm going to be in Denver for a couple hours, but I'm ultimately going to reside in California. I'm going to reside there. That analogy is similar to the way believers are to think of the present heaven where they go when they die. We are not ultimately destined to live apart from the earth in the presence of God. We are ultimately destined to go and be resurrected, raised to new life with Jesus when he returns. So we could say, I'm planning to go when I die to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, but then one day I will, when Christ returns, return with him to a new life. So right now, where do believers go when they die? They go to heaven. They go into the good presence of God. Philippians 1, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8 says, As long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. And we would be prefer to be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's true. But that's not your ultimate destination, biblically. Your ultimate destination is not the present heaven, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Your ultimate destination is to be both present with the Lord and present in a perfect resurrected body. This is what N.T. Wright in his book on the resurrection of Christ calls life after life after death. I want you to think about that. When a believer dies, they go to be present with Christ. They encounter life after death. But you don't stay there. The goal of everything Jesus did when he raised was that he would be the first fruits of all who would be raised with him, according to 1 Corinthians 15. So your ultimate hope is not to stay in the present heaven, but that the dwelling place of God, heaven, would be reunited with earth when you are raised to a new physical life after your life after death. That's your hope. Your ultimate hope is resurrection, to be made new, to have a perfect body in a perfect world ruled by Jesus where his presence is again with man on earth. That is life after life after death. And that's your hope. So let's, what will that be like? Like, what will the new heavens and new earth be like? And what will happen to the present world where we live? Like, are we to anticipate 
God is going to create something entirely new. It's like you have the present earth. He makes a new, like a brand new, new heavens, new earth. He blows up the first one, and then he transports us all to the second one. Well, there are some passages that have led some Christians to believe that the present earth will be fully destroyed. Let me give you a couple of those passages. Second uh, Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and all the works that are upon it will be burned up. Revelation 21, verse 1, says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Those have taken some, particularly, I think, actually more in the Lutheran bent of theology, have preferred to say, that means what we're looking forward to when we say a new heavens and new earth is like a brand new second creation, almost. But I think on the biblical evidence on a whole, the case is much stronger to say God is not going to destroy, but renew, that the fires that come at the end are purifying. Now, why do we say that? Well, because for one, God loves his good creation. In the beginning, Genesis 1 has the repeated declaration that God saw what he had made, and it was good. It was very good. And Romans 8 builds on that good foundation, and it says in Romans eight nineteen and following, that the creation is waiting with an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, to a curse, not of its own will, but of the will who subj- of him who subjected it, in hope, because the creation itself will be set free from bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. Okay, note that it says the creation itself will be set free. It's not just our bodies that will be renewed, but the whole of the created world will be renewed, according to Paul's uh, rendering in Romans 8. It's very hard to read Romans 8 and think, Paul is imagining the whole of the creation will be completely destroyed. So being set free from bondage to decay and obtaining glorious freedom looks like total destruction. I don't think that skews up with the teaching of Romans 8. And I think the strongest evidence for the renewal of all things, not just the destruction of the current world, is actually found in the pattern of the resurrection of Jesus itself. 1 Corinthians 15 is the key passage on this in the New Testament, and Paul points out that Jesus is a first fruits. He is the first of more that is to come, that just as Christ was physically changed, all of those who actually now know Christ can look forward to being physically raised from the dead to new life in a physical body, in a physical place. The resurrection of Jesus is our preview of the new heavens and new earth. So if you want to look at what will it be like, you look and say, well, Jesus was physically raised, but without the bodily limitations that we had. So the resurrection is the first of the new creation that will fully come. And what that does is it gives us a really good starting place to understand what the new heavens and new earth will be like. The way I've said it sometimes is, if you want to know what heaven will be like, imagine Eden on steroids. Even better. Randy Alcorn puts it this way in his book on heaven. If we want to know what the ultimate heaven, our eternal home, the new heavens and new earth will be like, the best place to start is by looking around us. 
The present earth is a valid reference point for envisioning the new earth because our present bodies are a valid point to envision our new bodies. But we can look around the earth around us right now and imagine what would it be like for it to be unhindered by disease and death? Imagine its natural beauty untainted by the destruction of sin. Imagine what it would be like. You see, that's what Alcorn says. If you want to know what the ultimate heaven would be like, look around you and imagine it perfect. That's such a helpful exercise. Look around you and imagine it perfect. Because there is coming a time, Acts 3 talks about, when God will restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. That means the kingdom of God and God's plan of salvation does not merely mean that certain individuals are saved. It means nothing less than the complete renewal of the entire cosmos culminating in the new heavens and new earth. That's a great quote from Anthony Hokuma. The salvation of God is nothing less than the complete renewal of the entire cosmos. It's incredible. 2 Peter 3.13 says we're to look for that. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And I think the culminating passage on all of this in the Bible is Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That's incredible. And did you notice in Revelation 21, what's the direction everything's going? John says, I saw new heavens and I saw a new earth, perfect, renewed, absent of the curse, and it was coming down out of heaven. God, the picture is God coming down to dwell with humanity. It's not us floating up to God, but God coming back and making a new and renewed creation with new, renewed people in a world that is wiped clean of the sin curse. This is joy to the world. This is actually, by the way, what that famous Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, is all about. I'm just going to read you the words. Remember, this is not just looking forward to Jesus coming as a baby. 
This says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in what? In heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That did not happen when baby Jesus came to earth. That happens when King Jesus returns and makes all things new. Because joy of the world isn't a Christmas hymn. It's a new creation hymn. It's an end times hymn. That, by the way, is the center of the end times. I just want to continue to say this. This is why we're landing our conversation on the end times here. The core of the Bible's teaching on the end times is not chronological charts and graphs about an exact timeline in the book of Revelation. The core of the Bible's teaching on the end times is the great joyful hope that one day all things will be made new when Jesus returns. The great hope of the end times is that as far as the curse is found, one day the glory of the Lord will be seen, and he will restore everything that sin has broken. Our relationship to God will be restored. He will be with us. Our relationships to others will be restored as perfect people in perfect bodies, perfect relate to each other. Our relationship to the created world will be restored. Thorns and thistles will no longer infest the ground. Instead, our work will produce only good, and God will look over that beautiful, new, and renewed world, and he'll again say, this is very good indeed. This is perfect. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be joy to the world. And I want you to do today what Randy Alcorn told us to do. If we want to know what the ultimate heaven is, our eternal home will be like, start by looking around you and imagining it perfect. This week, we're going to release this podcast on Thanksgiving. Imagine looking around the room at your loved ones. And if you're like me, you look around the dinner table and you're going to actually see spots missing of people who've gone to be with the Lord. And so imagine... For me, Grandpa Vance, there again. That'd be awesome. I look around the dinner table and I imagine perfect people around me. Wouldn't it be amazing to be around people you loved with no insecurities in you or in them? No defensiveness? No fear that around the Thanksgiving table, someone might make that political remark that sets off your aunt or that annoys your cousin. What, what would it be like if every relationship you went into, you only knew that always and forever you were going to be completely known, loved, and appreciated, and you would never feel jealousy? Imagine looking at yourself in the mirror and being a perfect person with no sin, no selfishness. Imagine that. I mean, even yesterday morning, driving into an early elders meeting at church, I just saw this unbelievably beautiful sunrise. If it's beautiful now, imagine it perfect. And don't just imagine the people perfect and the creation perfect. 
Imagine God there. The glory of the Lord. One day, the Bible says that it will cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. It says there will be no need for light of the sun in that city because the glory of God will light the earth. Imagine a place where Jesus is there. The one we've looked forward to our whole life. Imagine your president, your king, your leader being Jesus. Oh my goodness, no more elections. Hallelujah. This is good news. This is the core of the Bible's teaching on the end times. It is the hope of a new heavens, a new earth, a world without end. So the question at the end of this three-part series is very simple. Do you have this hope? 1 John 5 says he writes these things to those of us who would believe in the name of the Son of God so that we would know that we have eternal life. And I wonder if you know that. If this is your hope, because friends, life is very short. Death is certain. And what you do with Jesus in this life will determine where you spend eternity. The goal of the end times and studying the end times is not to make us endless, obsessive conspiracy theorists. The goal of studying the end times is to realize the shortness of our life so that we prepare for the life to come. The goal of studying the end times is to set our hope on heaven, to set our hope on the presence of God with his people. I'm going to give you one last image of the times of the end. It comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. It's the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. And in it, Peter and Lucy and the others, they find themselves very confused because there was a great battle in which they saw the destruction of all of Narnia, and yet they found themselves on the other side of that battle in a land almost exactly like Narnia, only better. I'm going to read the quote now. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling, looking around. I have come home at last. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. And as they ran deeper and deeper into the country, no matter how far they would go, they found there was always more ahead. And over and over they said, come further up, come further in. That's our great hope. A land where no matter how much we explore it and how much further we go, every moment is better than the last. That's the hope of a new heavens and new earth. Set your hope on that, church. Set your hope on that today. And when you think of the times of the end, don't just get lost in obsession about the details. Get lost in imagination about the beauty of what is to come. Look forward to his coming. Even so, come. Lord Jesus. Jesus.